Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 72, Not Really the Marrying Kind. This week we're discussing series 5, episode 10 of Doctor Who, Vincent and the Doctor, and season 1, episode 7 of Angel, The Bachelor Party. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Vincent and the Doctor. Uh, You wanted to start off with some production notes, I think, so why don't you go ahead and do that? Yeah, um, just a few behind-the-scenes things, which I think are relevant for this one. Um, This is definitely a favorite. Um... Uh, so we can talk about whether or not you agree with that, but um, it's uh, definitely a fan favorite. Um, so it was nominated for Hugo, Nebula, and SFX Awards. Um, and uh, Richard Curtis, who wrote it, and Tony Curran, who played Vincent, were also both nominated for Constellation Awards. Um, and so not only was it critically praised, um, it's, like I said, a fan favorite as mm-hmm. well on that recent uh, Doctor Who magazine poll, which they redid. And I didn't check what it was the last time. Or no, it wouldn't have been on the last time because they weren't that far. Uh, so in the new version of the the Doctor Who magazine poll, which just came out a couple months ago, um, this is number 27. Okay. So quite high. Yeah. Uh, and out so, of how many episodes out of, total again? You know, 300 uh, or something? Something like... Uh, it was 200 the last time, so maybe, like, yeah, somewhere between two and 300 episodes. So, it's up there pretty high. Um, and so, this was written by Richard Curtis, who I want to point out, because he's probably the most high-profile writer of the new series, in the sense that, um, Stephen Moffat and Russell Davies are both quite well-known, but well-known for TV, whereas Richard Curtis is actually, uh, he did some TV, like, he did, mm-hmm, sure. cre- he created Mr. Bean and, <clears throat> um, and Blackadder, both with Rowan Atkinson, um, yep. but went on to, you know, be quite a well-known writer of movies, um, so, you know, a lot of really well-known romantic comedies, most of them starring Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. or not Hugh Jackman, who's the other one? Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. Um, <laughs> the other Hugh. Hugh Grant, sorry, the other yeah. Hugh, the the, it's, the British it's Hugh. quite a mistake um, there, Kat, I don't know. I don't know if we can I, forgive I, you for that one. Yeah, I don't know. Um, So, like, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones Diary, Love Actually, Pirate Radio, mm-hmm. um, War Horse was another recent one, you know, a, a little bit of a step up, you know, working with Spielberg, um, and on you know, a a period drama as opposed to, you know, a kind of little British romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. War Horse isn't my favorite, um, but it's kind of nice to see him doing, like, you know, uh, more high-profile things. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, uh, one of his more recent projects is a movie called About Time, which came out in 2013. And it's actually a time travel story, which was inspired by his writing of this episode. It kind of got his brain going about time travel and what kind of stories could you tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an interesting one to check out. Um, and cool. uh, besides Hugh Grant, he also frequently works with Bill Nye, um, who people will know from, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and Love Actually and other things. Um, and he has the little cameo in this as the 
the museum curator. Yeah. Um, and he's a great actor. So, uh, so I guess when you sign on Richard Curtis, you get Bill Nye thrown into the deal or like in the contract or something. Um, so just thought that was worth mentioning. Um, also kind of worth noting for him that he had actually had, um, I'm not sure what bits of it were predated, um, Moffat approaching him about writing an episode, but before that happened, he had kind of had a story in mind uh, about Van Gogh for a while. That that was an artist that interested him. Sure. Um, he because he kind of was intrigued by he's the fact that Van Gogh is what according to him, I guess, um, one of the only really really great like you know critically acknowledged and also hugely popular artists mm-hmm. who basically had no appreciation while he was alive yeah you know most people you know who are like there are plenty of unappreciated artists but not all of them get ever appreciated even posthumously <laughs> you know well, or like, and or even like they do by the end of their lives they get right you know. right or yeah like a late career surge or you know or there are quite a lot of popular artists who are quite celebrated during their life. There are actually very few, you know. Yeah. Uh, or at least a portion, are, like maybe yeah, early, it's or, like, oh, they show a lot of promise, this and that. Or, but. To, or to this extent, you know, like right. you can't say mm-hmm. Van Gogh's not a cult hit. He's like totally mainstream popular. Like it's hard to name artists more famous and more popular than him, you know. So... Stephen Moffat approached Richard Curtis about uh, writing an episode of Doctor Who, but he sort of left it up to Richard Curtis to, uh, he didn't really give him a pitch or anything or a story. It was more just he approached him as a writer to write something. So um, Curtis kind of had the freedom to bring what he wanted to the table. Um, So he'd actually had uh, been wanting to write a story about Van Gogh for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, that he was kind of intrigued by the fact that Van Gogh is one of the very few truly popular, mainstreamly accepted, you know, great artists who had, like, literally no appreciation during their lifetime. Yeah. You know, like, a lot of artists usually have one or the other, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or 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 you, you have a late career surge, you know, or maybe, you know, you're somewhat well-known, but only sort of in certain circles, you know, or whatever. But yeah. with Van Gogh, you really have, you know, a complete shift from before and after his death in terms of his place in the kind of you, artist canon and everything. Do you happen to know, and I actually meant to look up a little more about Van Gogh and his life, um, and we, I mean, we can talk more about him, but do you know sort of when, when the popularity came? Was it like immediately after he died, or was it like... You know, a I while really later. don't. That's a that's a good question. Uh, I yeah, don't think curious. to look that up. No. Okay. No. Uh, that's a that is an interesting question. Um, I guess I, one of the other things now that I'm thinking about, you mentioned um, that Curtis and Nye, uh and it's Bill Nye, <laughs> not Bill not Nye, the science guy, with the science guy, which is what I thought you said initially, <laughs> and I was like, oh, sweet, Bill Nye is in the and Doctor Who, I did not know. He that. wears bow ties too. Exactly. Um, yeah. One of the uh, so one of the things I was yeah. I was just thinking is you know your mention of the two maybe sort of come as a package deal um, is do are we supposed to sort of see his character Doctor Black there um, 
as a stand-in, you know, based on the things that he sort of says about Van Gogh, if uh, mm-hmm. Richard Curtis, you know, had, um, you know, was already sort of fascinated, like, is this, you know, is this his, right. him his sort of in, inserting yeah. himself into the story kind of thing? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that, I don't think, you know, it, it, it kind of seems that way, like, the end turns into a big Van Gogh love fest, um, with him kind of, and not because, like, he gets so sort of effusive in his praise, you know, it's not just, right. like, like he's so, he kind of fanboys a little bit mm-hmm. about, like, you know, not just, and, and he, he kind of goes into the specific, specifics of why he loves Van Gogh, mm-hmm. you know, like, that he was so tortured, but that he used that to portray beauty, right, you know, right. and, and how how refreshing is that, and how life-affirming is that. Um, sure. And so he's not only a great artist, but a great person a great too. Man. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, so I mean, I think I think that's definitely a little author insert there. Um, so um, and then the other thing I think he was thinking about was, you know, telling the story about you know the depression and the way that he used his art, you know, therapeutically in that way, mm. um, and kind of the relationship between maybe the disconnect between that kind of personal turmoil and the beauty of the art that he created yeah. and everything and that that was a kind of an intriguing you know pairing of artist and creation sure um you know and moffat you know obviously thought that was all i all great and we can talk about this but moffat kind of really appreciated um you know the take on a story where you know the doctor can't save somebody you know and not just not not just he can't because he fails necessarily but that you know there are certain things that the doctor can't change you know and there are certain it kind of reminded me again of girl in the fireplace of like um you know after all the saving of madame de pompadour from monsters she dies of natural causes you know Mm -hmm. so here it's sort of like there are certain things that are just sort of the way they are, you know, so we'll get into that, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So many things I can't say to you about all of that, <laughs> but anyway, so, oh, um, no. the, the, I do want to talk about that. I, you know, I definitely want to talk about Van Gogh and his death and suicide and his life and his painting and all that too. But before we yeah. get to that, any other final production notes? No, that's it. Okay. Let's go. Before, um, I, I actually, I have something even like more important that I wanted to bring up first. Um, and that is the pronunciation because <laughs> good God, it's annoying to have people saying Van Gogh. Uh, I realize this is just, you know, a matter of locality. Um, it just happens to be the mm-hmm. way that they pronounce it there and not the way that we pronounce it here. And I get that. Um, I suspect that, Dr. Black's pronunciation, where it's more of a guttural than a fricative uh, yeah. ending, is probably more correct than either of our yeah. ours right. or sort of right. the standard one, just based on, you know, what little I sort of know about language and, and being a Dutch name and, with you know, with that sort of Germanic background. But um, that doesn't make it less annoying, knowing that it's probably correct. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although, well, no, actually I should say that's not true. I was slightly less annoyed by him than the, than the F, uh, sound at the end. Um, even 
accounting for the fact that we do have words like enough, which right, uh, clearly right. Right. Enough, use the same. Tough, you know, yeah, we do. It's just what your ear is used to. Um, yep. And and we are nothing if not inconsistent. So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. I think you were saying that you had heard that before. I don't think I ever actually knew that that was uh, the British pronunciation until I watched this episode. You know, so yeah. I I remember being uh, quite distracted by that the first time I watched. Yeah, this. no. Right after college, when I um, I did the whole you know backpacking tour thing uh through europe and met up with some english friends in paris and so i had definitely heard that pronunciation and i think at the time it definitely mm. confused me and i was like who the heck are you talking about like i just thought it was maybe some minor painter that i didn't really right, know right. about and right. of course it's not it's obviously van gogh but just in this other pronunciation and so i totally felt like an idiot then but um also thought they were idiots for saying it that way no i didn't think they were idiots but i just it was really confusing for a while so but anyway i we can move on i guess um all right now that we got the important stuff out yeah now that we got the important stuff i guess we can talk about everything else um yeah also before we actually talk about like this episode well i mean it's kind of about this episode but it's yeah. The, not what happens, but what doesn't happen, um, or yeah. more specifically, who isn't there. And of course, yeah. it's Rory. Um, mm. And there are a number of times throughout the episode where you're sort of reminded, uh, yeah. I I think intentionally, although I also kind of felt like they did a really good job of integrating it with the story. Um, yeah. So like, it doesn't feel like they're just doing it to remind you, but actually it's part of the story and you just happen to be reminded because it's yeah. a notable, you, you know, he, the absence is notable. Uh, yeah. Just as a whole. Yeah. But the, but the episode doesn't really focus on that. It just no. sort of like occasionally flags these little things that it's almost yeah. like if you saw this episode as a standalone, you wouldn't notice any of it, but it's only because we've been watching it that we kind of realize the subtext of mm-hmm. what's going on mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, yeah, so it's and, very subtle. Right, and you do even get, I think, once or twice, um, I want to say, especially at the end where Amy says she's not the marrying type, um, mm. where you get the doctor does maybe kind of give a slight look, but yeah. again, it's pretty subtle. Like, it's not, yeah. you might not even notice that he's really, I mean, you have to, knowing the story, you have to be thinking, you know, he's thinking about Rory. <laughs> You're thinking yeah. that he's thinking about Rory. Definitely. Yes, you know? definitely. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, it's just a glance. It's just like, it's real subtle and it's not, it's not like, yeah, it's you know, suddenly of... you shoot in on the doctor's face and he's horrified by this mention, right. of, you know, like, yeah. you know, something obvious like that. I just, I, I really like the way that it was done because yeah. I think it was well integrated. Um, yeah. There's, there's two, there's, well, the marrying kind part, definitely. Um, but two other moments that stick out for me is the, the part where they're walking to go to the church and Amy and Vincent are talking about sadness and he kind of perceives something yep. about it. And, and the way that the doctor kind of hangs back and is just sort of listening, you know, yep. like that's definitely, um, you know, you kind of know he's like, 
listening really hard, but also not wanting to get involved in the conversation. Yeah. Um, and then the other part, when he accidentally says Rory's name, remember, there's yeah. that one part with where they're being chased by the monster. He goes, you know, just reflexively, you know, Amy, Rory, who? Okay. And then he just sort of brushes right. it off. And it's like, it's so fast that they don't even realize it happened, you know, and mm. he kind of is able to, you know, get away with it right. uh, without a big fuss. But um, yeah, just those tiny little moments that are sort of snuck in there. The, so then the other one um, for me, and, and those I totally agree with, um, but the other one for me then is right in the beginning when, you know, you get the impression based on what Amy says that they've been going around doing all of the things that she wants to do. Right. There's no more, yeah. there's no more of this, um, especially considering in the last, well, the last story, not the last episode, but they were supposed to have gone, um, oh, yeah. uh, to where Rio, they were going to yeah, Rio. To Rio. Yeah. That's right. I'm like, I can't remember where it was. They were right. I dressed for Rio, of course. Um, right. You know, they're supposed to have gone to Rio and they didn't end up there and whatever. So you get the sense of like Amy's been wanting to do these certain things that right. have sort of been either overruled or, or right. you know, they've been distracted from doing. Distracted by stuff, yeah. But now you get the sense that the doctor is sort of acquiescing to her. And I actually didn't think of this till just now, but... I, I've talked about before how we've seen sort of maybe a fatherly attitude towards a doctor, but then there's also the sort of weird sexual thing too. But um, mm -hmm. like this totally seems to me like appeasing a child who's been hurt kind of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you fell down and got a boo-boo. Here's an ice cream cone. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. like it's, <laughs> I mean, obviously bigger on in both aspects than that sort of right. thing, but um, right. you know, it's, that's the sort of thing I get like that, that is his attitude towards what she's doing and what they're doing and what she wants and, and in sort of acquiescing to her. Although it's also kind of weird because she doesn't know that, like she doesn't know that that's right. what's going on. So you have to sort yeah, of wonder. Yeah, you kind of, it's conspicuous enough that it makes her sort of suspicious. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it, it it's unsubtle enough that she's like, uh, you're being especially, because you're right, normally the doctor, you know, not that he's uninterested in what they want to do, but normally they're not necessarily doing, like, you know, okay, you do get those occasional episodes where it's clear that they're there somewhere, like, for fun. Yeah. But I'd say the majority of the time, it's usually not that. It's usually that there's, you know, they, you know get distracted by something like you said or they get called in somewhere or they you know circumstances arise that get them involved you know or they right. land somewhere randomly or whatever right um you know you can probably think of a lot fewer episodes where the purpose is to go somewhere like as a tourist mm -hmm. um and it and the and impression definitely with amy is that this isn't the only thing that they've been doing this right, for right. a little while and like yeah, like, you know, she might be used to the occasional, like, tourist stop, but, like, this is getting a little bit ridiculous for the doctor, you yeah. know? It's sort of like, you well, know, <laughs> why are you going out of your way to do yeah. all the things that well, I want to do? And she know? even, right, right, she's like, you're, you're being so nice to me. Why are you being so nice to me? Like, she yeah. even <laughs> sort of notices, and that's actually the line where, well, we know why he's being so nice to her, because she just yeah. experienced this loss that she doesn't remember. <laughs> like, right, right. So um almost gives me the same feeling even um not quite in the same way um 
but a very similar feeling i think to uh you know the the end of end of time storyline mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. where uh you know right at the beginning we get the doctor you know coming off of uh, waters of mars where he saw the ood right. and knows that he's being called to go do something like yeah. then we find out that he went on this like wild extravagant vacation <laughs> right. you know met elizabeth the right. second or the first i mean and and did all this stuff uh you know sort of in in between the two things um right. the difference right. here being like i'm not i'm not sure that he necessarily knows and I want to talk about this part too, and maybe this is a lead-in. Um, maybe, well, I see. I, I guess what I was gonna say is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why the doctor is like avoiding dealing with the Rory stuff, or if he is actually dealing with the Rory stuff, and this is how he's going about doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not. I'm not sure if if this is avoidance or cure, you know what I mean? Like, is it avoidance or Mm -hmm. convalescence for Amy to be taking her to all of these different things? And I could make a case for either. Right. right. Which is why, so it's kind of annoying to me that I don't know, because I, I can see both arguments. Um, You know, on the one hand, I think that if he's avoiding then it does mean kind of like with the Ood thing that he, there's something that he knows he should be doing Mm. probably something that has to do with the big cracks that are following him (laughs) everywhere. Yeah. But like, like either he, but I guess what I'm not sure is like, does he know what he needs to do or does, does he just know that he needs to do something, but doesn't yet know what it is. So like in the meantime, he might as well do what Amy wants to do while he's sort of, mulling it over in the background of his mind kind of thing so i guess that's why i i I can't really make a determination because i don't know i don't and and maybe that's the point is that it is ambiguous and that we're not supposed to know like what is he does does he have a purpose in sort of taking her to all these places or or is the purpose to distract her so that he can sort of think in the background or does he not really know at all what he's supposed to do even um I mean, that's been my reading is like he might suspect certain things, especially now that he, like he might have some su- suspicions about what the crack is and what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and he might suspect certain things about, you know, or he could maybe draw certain conclusions based on the fact that he pulled the piece of the TARDIS out of it. But I think at this point, other than the doctor, you know, being able to make certain connections that we can't. I think that we know kind of what he knows. Mm. I don't, I don't, it's not going to turn out that he's secretly got some big master plan that we're not like privy to. Mm. I think he's kind of in the space of like, and, and I know you didn't quite mean that, but like, I don't think it's so much that like with the Ood, he knew what he had to do. He just didn't want to do it. Um, I don't think at this point, I never really interpreted it as that kind of avoidance of like putting off like a duty or or something yeah, yeah. That, you know i more read it as he might suspect what it is but he like doesn't really have any idea like what to do about that like and it's not so much like you know 
what what could he say to Amy that would like help her? So it's more kind of a maybe more the convalescence like you know mm-hmm. uh, of of something that just makes her feel good just to be nice, you know, or even the fact that like Vincent picks up on the fact that even though she doesn't remember what happened, she still has like a sadness about her. So, you know, I presume the doctor is aware of that enough to, you know, want to make sh- do things that will make her happy. Yeah. You know, but I don't know that like he could do anything like, you know, it, I mean, what could he do? Like tell her, oh, you had this boyfriend who was a ra-. like, you know, I don't maybe he could try, but he's not trying at this point. Um, you know, so you know, and it's weird, like, because at this point, she never had the boyfriend, except that the doctor remembers him. So you're not quite sure, like, how the erasing, you know, works and everything. Yeah. Um, no, and that's, I thought of that very point, too. And Like, like I want, would it would it be even be possible, you know, he might just know enough to know the futility of ever trying to explain this to her. And, so he may as well just do nice things, you know. And not even the futility but the possible damage it could do because the, the idea that we got, you know, before she sort of completely forgot him was, was he kept saying, you have to remember him, you know, like you have to remember him. Like it's not, it's not even something he can do. So like if he even tries to help her remember, is it possibly that that would do more damage than no, than not damage, you know what I mean? Which is, which might also be why when he sort of slips up and says Rory's name, he just glosses over it, like, "Oops, I'm not going to bring that up now." Like the, yeah, the, yeah, you know, because he shouldn't or can't because she has to remember him on her own. Um. So I, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, I and don't... I mean, where I think the avoiding could be involved is that I suppose he could be trying to investigate the crack, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not. I don't want to say he's like seeing not avoiding if it pops in the sense up that, again somewhere. you know, like, so I don't think he's going out of his way to do everything he could about the crack necessarily. So that could maybe be read as avoiding the issue. Sure. Um, but I don't think he's avoiding a specific thing that he knows that he's supposed to do about it. Um, right. That's been my yeah. reading of it. No, and maybe... Yeah, I would say that I didn't maybe mean it quite that strong, like that there was a specific thing, but that it was more like he knows he should be investigating it more directly, perhaps, kind right. of thing. So, Yeah, and, and that could definitely be true. Um, and, and again, like my position isn't that he should be, it's that I don't know, like he's sort of inscrutable in that respect. Right. <laughs> uh, so... Right, and it's not like Amy knows what's going on, so we don't get to hear about it because he's not ta- telling her, you know. Right. Because that's normally the only way you know what the doctor is thinking is if he tells his companion. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so, anyway, that said. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Rory's absence is a big deal. Um, yeah. You know, there's still the hope that he'll be saved at some point somehow. I mean, we're coming up on the last couple episodes right so Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know i assume we'll find something out (laughs) uh one way or the other i although maybe that's an improper assumption um i guess we have 14 episodes this this season not not uh 
13. Well, we've got 13 and then we've got a Christmas. Is there, Oh, is that the special? Okay. Gotcha. Um, anyway. As usual. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so that is that I, I guess, um, now that we've spent a half hour talking about things, not in the episode, (laughs) we should talk about the episode as well. I want to make, so let's, let's start talking about, Van Gogh himself as he's portrayed in this episode. Um, yeah. Just because I, you know, we don't always say a lot about the companions, but this is obviously, you know, big historical character. Sure. So we get a very specific um, thing. I, I thought they did a quite good job of yeah. finding someone who looked, you know. Yeah. Of course, maybe. He looks great, doesn't he? May, yeah. Maybe, you know, I mean, we are talking impressionist here, so it's not, you know. <laughs> right. We don't have yeah, to be too exact. detailed. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. That's that's maybe my favorite line in the episode is, is the doctor's, mm-hmm. that's the problem with the impressionists. Right. <laughs> right. Little rant about the inaccuracy of, of them. Yep. Sorry, Vincent. Uh, yeah. This would never happen with Gainsborough. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know anything about Van Gogh. So like, I couldn't, I wouldn't even really be able to like compare his life <laughs> with, with right. the episode, which is fine. Cause I don't think it's necessary to do that per mm-hmm. se, but, um, I do want to talk about the two things I want to talk about are one, I mean, his painting. So obviously yeah. very, very talented you know, painter. And it is one of those things where you have to wonder like what, like, was it just because it was so new or different or what was going on at the time? But like, you know, why were people so sort of adamantly opposed to his style or his, you know, whatever. Um, And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you know, but um, just sort of thinking out loud there, like those, you know, just, I'm not a big fan of impressionists either, but yeah, like, you know, you definitely can look at his paintings and yeah. And you see, you know, the, like the famous ones or whatever, and mm-hmm. they're, they are compelling in their own way. Yeah. Um, I like that little, that little moment where um, you have, uh, you, you have him looking in the sky and, and start sort of like giving yeah. his, uh, artistic uh you know description of the cosmos kind of thing um and he's actually seeing you know the way that he paints which is kind of an interesting um interesting the the sky kind of turns into starry the starry night yeah yeah um yeah and i i just think this episode is gorgeous you know because every opportunity they try to make it look like the paintings you know so my the other favorite is when the doctor goes in to wake him up mm. and the bedroom you get a shot of his bedroom which is exactly like the bedroom you know from his painting you mm-hmm. know which they saw hanging outside earlier it was still it wasn't even dry yet um but that's one of his most famous is that you know painting that bedroom in Arles or whatever it is um and it's like the composition, like the bed is exactly the right place, the color is exactly right, and yeah, um, well, and the right, and so then you also get like the cafe there, yeah, you know, the cafe, that, yeah, like Amy's like, hmm, maybe it'll look like this, yeah. you know, orangey glow, ah, kind of like that. It's exactly like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know, her surrounding herself with sunflowers, hoping that she'll 
that he'll want to paint her. Yeah. Surrounded by sunflowers. Um, <laughs> that is a great moment. So And then he's yeah, like, like, yeah, they're not my favorite flower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, so you could like Amy gives him the idea to, you know, mm-hmm. uh it's sort of like the doctor with Shakespeare, like, you know, yeah, oh, you yeah, can I'll, have that I'll line. Use that. Yeah. Yeah. Nope, yeah. Can't use that. To be or not to be. You should write that down. Um nah, it's a little you know, pretentious, so, don't you think? Yeah. Uh so I just like I mean obviously the starry night part but the whole episode I think they try really and I think really do a good job of of making the you know the color and the composition mimic mm-hmm. you know his artwork so it's just like a gorgeous episode um and it is kind of intriguing you know because you think of you know I don't know a whole lot about Van Gogh but that's kind of what you know about him is he was, you know, mentally disturbed, you know, and, uh, you know, and we all know about the ear cutting. Yeah, I, I was just incident. thinking, I'm kind of glad they stayed away from the ear thing. Like, yeah, they didn't yeah. really. No, that's a little, that's a little brutal for Doctor Who, I think. Um, But, I mean, I mean, that kind of graphic violence mm-hmm. is brutal for Doctor Who and I think would be inappropriate. But I think what I have, I'm with Moffat on this one. What I really like is that they don't undermine the reality of his issues, you know, and, you know, I'm sure there's, maybe there are other things in the episode to talk about with Vincent, but that ending is so powerful, Mm -hmm. I think, that it's just so, I mean... And, like, every time I watch the episode, you get swept up in the emotion of him getting to go in the TARDIS and how cool it is to take Vincent, you know, on a trip in the TARDIS. And it's joyful and wonderful. And then, you know, the, you know, what a fantastic idea to show this person who wasn't unappreciated in their lifetime, you know, to give him a glimpse of, Mm -hmm. again, with the memory, how he'll be remembered Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, that he really was a great talent and that, you know, people will eventually realize that, you know, and, um, but it doesn't change the facts, you know, it doesn't, you know, and, and like the doctor says, it's not that they had no impact. It's not like a, you know, nothing you do matters and, you know, this was always going to happen and there's nothing we can do. Like, I think it, they do a really good job of showing that the positive impact that they have, but also not turning, you know, mental illness, you know, or depression into just another monster for the doctor to slay, you know? And I, that's kind of what I appreciated most because I, one of the fears that I had sort of in the early moments of the episode was that it was exactly that, like that it would become like, Oh, he wasn't actually, he didn't actually commit suicide. It, he was killed by an alien, but it was done right. in such a way that people thought like it he, was a, yeah. a suicide or that yeah. kind of thing. And I, and it wasn't till really my second watch through that I was like, you know, that I sort of ruminated on that and thought that's really, I'm glad they did it the way they did. Although, I mean, obviously you, you don't want that. You don't want talented people. And oh man, I was just listening um, actually to a podcast um, today uh, 
Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller does a podcast mm-hmm. and, and I'm a little behind on my listening of it, but I got to the episode today that um, he did right after Robin Williams uh, yeah. committed suicide and, and just sort of his talking about that. And, and, you know, the fact that they both ran in comedy circles and actually Robin Williams was in one of Penn's movies that he, um, <clears throat> that he produced uh, and, you know, just sort of talking about, and, and actually he was, uh, Penn was talking about how like Robin Williams was one of the first like big Hollywood people he ever met and how he was just so kind and so whatever. Um, but in particular about this one story in the New York times where like this artist kind of went, uh, or not artist journalist went, um, and had like met Robin Williams, like after a show and, and was interviewing him and stuff. And it was just like talking about how different he was off stage and, you know, in the back and like he was really subdued and then whatever. And so basically this journalist was like, you know, calling him manic depressive, whatever. And Penn, Penn was just like, well, this, this is not, uh, like that. You can't make that assessment after just meeting someone once, right? Like you're totally yeah. undermining who he was and, and, you know, all yeah. of that kind of thing. So like, I guess sort of the point of, of what I was saying is like, like I saw sort of a similar thing in this episode where like, where they didn't do that. Like they, they absolutely yeah. like they, they really, they addressed it in a real way. Um, and you're right. Like, I think the focus is what the doctor says at the end. Like, you know, it's not that the happy moments don't matter just because the outcome didn't change. They still yeah. matter and maybe matter even more because we know yeah. it didn't change the outcome you know what I mean like so yeah or or you're you know it it mattered that much more that they went and did that for him because of they know how right you know right of how sad he was and how it does come like you said because it comes to Mm -hmm. a sad end even though that doesn't change well then how much better that they went back and gave him a good experience you know and showed him something, you know, and gave him some hope. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it makes those moments of kind of grace and kindness and everything yeah. that much more valuable. Yeah. So I'm really glad that, you they... know, I mean, that thing that makes me think of Tolkien, you know, the, the, the reality and the possibility of failure and sadness makes the few catastrophic moments, mm-hmm. you know, that's why they have poignancy. Right. You know, if it was all happy, then that wouldn't the happy moments wouldn't mean as much. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that, you know, and Van Gogh hearing himself being talked about by Dr. Black. I mean, that's absolutely yeah. a, a prime example I would say of a catastrophic moment. Um yeah. even when he says, you know, tears of joy, you know, yeah. like these are that's almost sort of textbook, like more textbook than Tolkien's own work <laughs> example right, right. in a way um right. of that sort of idea. Um so yeah, definitely, definitely would agree there. Um, and you get the preview too, um, which I didn't. I, again, it wasn't until my second watch that I sort of noticed the significance of it. But um, you know, when Van Gogh says, you know, uh, oh, was he? I forget the exact words that he says, the exact quote, but basically that he knows. You, you know, every, everyone leaves right yeah. eventually, like you know, I'm okay now, but like, I'm thinking about how sad I'll be later when you're not here kind of thing. And, yeah, and they do, they still leave, even though they, you know, are able to have this adventure with him and get to show him what he means in the future. Mm -hmm. They still leave. 
Right. right. And that's another, you know, it's another, in a way, and I didn't really think of this till just now, but in a way, I mean, we've, we've talked about, you know, the people that the doctor leaves behind and this is, yeah, I don't mean to imply that like, because I think this would be making the same mistake as turning suicide into a monster. But I think, you know, I don't want to say like the doctor leaving is what killed Van Gogh. Cause right. you know, clearly he was, had his problems and depression and stuff before the doctor came, but there is a running theme here this mm-hmm. season of not being able to save people. Um, yeah. And we got it now twice with Rory right. uh, and once with Amy. Um, yeah. At least kind of, sort of with Amy um, that led to Rory a second time. So, you know what I mean? Like, so there's, there yeah. are, there is this, there is this sense um, that there's a sort of recurring, uh, you know, idea here where, where we have the doctor not being able to do what he's sort of known for doing, which is saving mm. people. But in these cases, he seems not to be able to And And I don't just mean like, suddenly he's lost his mojo or something, but like, cause <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's been other times where he's been unable to save people too, but, and even, and that's why like, you know, just this once everybody lives is so powerful is because it is unusual that everybody lives. Right. So I don't mean to right. imply that like whatever, but there is this idea that he leaves, he goes away and yeah, things for that person don't necessarily go as well as they were going or there's there's some something and yeah like I think the fact that Amy's well it's just I think that is um even more striking this season because of the way Amy's story starts you know with being sort of like her relationship with the doctor starts with being left behind Mm -hmm. for a long time and causes real you know issues for Amy like not you know uh not you know fatal ones not irreparable ones necessarily but pretty serious you know psychological trauma you know, for a long time i didn't really think about that but you're right i mean just like van gogh talks about seeing a number of different doctors and stuff i mean amy did too you right i That's mean grow, true. growing up yeah. she yeah you're right because she kept biting them apparently right um, right <laughs> uh, van gogh didn't go that far it seems but uh but I didn't really think about it because there is a lot of sort of like paralleling of their characters in this episode. Just like, I mean, the hair color, obviously kind of thing, but also sort right. of the mutual admiration that they s- seem to have for each other. And I wanted to talk about Amy next, so maybe we can talk about the two of them together a bit because um, there is also this kind of going back maybe a little to the Rory thing. There is this whole flirtatious aspect between yeah. Van Gogh and Amy and it, it's disturbing for me in one sense because you're like, no, like Rory. <laughs> but on the other sense, yeah. like what you brought up before that Amy doesn't even remember him. So you can't blame her for it. You can't fault and her for yeah, it. Yeah. There's no like reason why she shouldn't be flirting with Van Gogh. Right. Just, and, and honestly, I mean, it's not like she didn't flirt with other people, even when Rory was right. her <laughs> betrothed, you know? So like, <laughs> yeah. Why would we expect different now that Rory's literally not even in the picture anymore? So yeah, uh, yeah, you know. But at the same time, there is a sort of discomfort in a couple senses there that you have with that flirtation, or or that I had. I keep saying you, but 
I'm just yeah. expressing my own <laughs> feelings yeah. here. Um, the proverbial you. Yeah, so it's, it's... Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously just because of... Yeah, in a weird way, it almost is worse than when we're... Which is completely perverse, you know? It shouldn't be that way, but it almost means more when Rory's not around because, yeah. you know, it... it, it You'd almost rather have him there and her taking him for granted than her not even remembering him at all. Like, yeah. like just the fact that we've lost him recently. Mm-hmm. So you don't really want to see her, you know, moving on and interested in other people yeah. and everything. But um, yeah, but then again, there's that sort of the intellectual knowledge of she's not really moving on because to yeah, her, yeah. he never was. Like, he was yeah, never there. Yeah. So it's... But don't you also feel like... I mean, definitely it's mutual... But don't you also feel like there's some hesitation on Amy's part? I mean, obviously she's not going to stay behind and get married to him and everything. Like, clearly he's more committed in that. Like, he's ready to have a dozen children with flaming right, red right. hair and everything. <clears throat> right. um, but, um, so, I mean, I don't think under any circumstances Amy would want to stay behind and, you know, uh, you know, in, in that time period and settle down or anything. But... Even putting that aside, you know, she enjoys the flirtation and the attraction, but she also, I think, seems more ambivalent about it than Vincent does. You know, that it seems more like she's just enjoying herself while she's here, you know, yeah. and, and you wonder if, you know, some of that, and he, like, especially that thing at the end about I'm not really the marrying kind, you know, you wonder how much of her ambivalence is her kind of, again, like when she starts crying and doesn't realize it, that mm. she's she's missing something that she doesn't realize she's missing, you know, or she's feeling things that she doesn't understand, but, you know. Um, so I kind of have always interpreted some of her hesitation as maybe a little bit of worriness that she doesn't necessarily realize is going on. Um, yeah, I could but, be, could be. I, I don't know that I picked up on quite that, but I mean, you pointing those things out, I I could sort of see that, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I would I would be lying if I said I had picked up on that in the same way you did. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I guess. Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously, we don't know because the point is she doesn't know. So right, no, I'm I'm just because I'm speculative. I'm just sort of thinking about it now, but like the. Like, yeah, I mean, but that's sort of what flirting is, right? It's like you're not really committed, but right, you're also right. not, like, giving it up either. <laughs> like, right, exactly. You, you know, so I, I guess on the one hand it's... Yeah, and I think definitely for her, and maybe that's just the difference, is just for her it is more flirtation. Vincent seems like if she married him, he she, he would totally marry her. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. He's, like, ready, you know? Yeah, and, you know, but then you also wonder is that, just him trying to find something connect with to, somebody yeah, yeah connect yeah. with or whatever so um yeah i don't know yeah like i mean obviously she's you know uh being kind to him she appreciates his work mm-hmm. um you know so um, and you know and she has red hair like he does and she her accent sounds like his and all these things. So, yeah, right. you know, which is a nice joke about the Scottish and everything. Um, so I think 
definitely for him, you know, you could see like she just is this soulmate who dropped out of nowhere, you know, and understands him and, you know, they have a deeper connection than, you know, the village people who think he's, you know, a hack Mm -hmm. and a drunk and, you know, uh, cheap and all these other things. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you have to wonder and, how and, much... And crazy on top of it, you know. Right, and you have to wonder how much is is him uh, sort of just enjoying the attention and confusing that with love, too. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, something he's it's that doesn't seem infatuation to be used to. of, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there. I think, I suspect you're right that he would jump into that, you know, marriage situation much sooner than she seems to to want to um and with more enthusiasm uh yeah so yeah um and you brought up the point of amy crying which yeah is interesting like you get this sort of idea that in addition to to the you know visual sight that he has of you know, being able to see this monster that no one else can mm-hmm. see. He also has a sort of a intuition, like a, a more ESP sort of vision as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe ESP isn't quite right, but like, yeah, like again, more like an intuitive or empathetic thing yeah. that, that he knows there's something wrong, even though he doesn't know quite what it is or how to yeah. do it. And, and that seems to go along with his artistry, right? Like he's, just he just sees things in a different way and so he's he's picking up an impression quite literally you know from her like it's not a visual you know thing that he can put on a canvas but it's it's uh you know a a attitudinal i guess impression that he's getting from her and and you know he maybe can't describe it precisely but he can sort of hint at what it is with Mm. words um which I feel like is what I'm doing right now. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm not describing it very well. But anyway, uh, he does seem to have that sort of artist intuition that uh, picks up yeah. on something that, that can't quite put a finger on. Um, yes. So any any other thoughts about Amy? Well, let me check my notes here. Um. No, we talked about the sunflowers. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, like, I I mean, and maybe we can use this to transition into her and the Doctor. I just really like that ending of um, how, how excited she is mm. to go back to the museum to think right. that Expecting. they've saved him. The long life of Vincent Van Gogh and how many more paintings there are going to be. Um, and how sort of crushed she is. Uh, you know, and, but then finding the, that's so great, the painting, you know, which is now inscribed, you know, which is a real painting, you know, he didn't paint it, you know, uh, just because of her, but it has this added addition of the, like the little dedication, you know, to Amy. Um, and so, and I just love that the, the contrasting, expectations of her versus the doctor Mm. you know kind of for all that the doctor and especially this doctor is very innocent and childlike and hopeful and everything 
you still have this kind of innocence versus experience thing of, you know, the doc, you know, the doctor's sort of understanding that, uh, there are certain things, you know, that he just knows. Yeah. They can only do so much. And and there are, and, and, you know, it's probably not gonna change everything. You know, they helped, but, you know, these are different kinds of, you know, demons and everything. Um, but contrasting that with Amy's sort of hopeful expectation that, you know. Right. I just really like that ending. Um, and yeah. those two. And and how, like, you know, how comforting he is to her. You know, and he does a pretty good job, I think, of... I really like Matt Smith in that last couple minutes. In the way that he, you know tries to console Amy. Mm. Um, it does a really good job. Yeah, no. And, and it's interesting that that's, that becomes the contrast between the two of them because he, the doctor is the one who earlier is trying to convince, uh, Vincent that there's hope, right? You, you, you yeah. know, there always surprisingly is hope or however that exact quote like yeah, yeah. goes and, and just his, you know, saying there, but then at the end it's, Amy, who's excited about, you know, there's, oh, there's hope, you know, that there something changed and the doctor's like, well, yeah. I'm not actually so sure about that. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, yeah, and, it, there and is she a little specifically, there. She specifically uses the time can be rewritten line, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, we've heard said, you know, that's significant in terms of the river storyline. Um, now it's quite significant in terms of the Rory storyline. So again, like tapping into things that she's not aware of, you know, so to have her kind of say, you know, time can be rewritten, you know, it's not fate, you know, we can change things for the better. And then the doctor being the one saying, yeah, but sometimes not, Mm -hmm. you know, not everything. Um, you know, which again, I think kind of shows the difference between, you know, the the long life that he's lived, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not that he's, like, a fatalist, because clearly he changes stuff all the time, you know? But, but he also kind of has an intuition for what he can and can't change. Yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't call him a fatalist at all in that moment. It, realist, perhaps. Like, you know, right. definitely... Like you said, he he has a good idea about what he's able to change, but it's you do get the sense that even within the episode, he sort of is revising his own assessment, you know, mm. yeah. um, just based on that conversation with. And I don't know, maybe it's maybe he doesn't really believe it. Although I think in the moment you kind of think that he must believe it when he's talking to Vincent, you know, saying in my experience here. So, but then. Yeah. Vincent is the one who says, well, then your experience is incomplete, which is an, an interesting thing for him to say to the doctor. Right. right. Uh, given, yeah, kind of ironic. Yeah. yeah, given how much experience the doctor has. And, and of course, the doctor has experienced loss and hopelessness. Like, it's not like the doctor right. himself is, a, is always hopeful. Um, right. Even though he sort of says so, you know, that there's always something to hope for. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so definitely, definitely some good sort of parallels and and reversals there, I think. Um, The other thing that I sort of wanted to bring up with the doctor is 
Um, well, there's a couple moments where we get uh, reflections on like boredom, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> Uh, one of them is with Amy where, you know, it's like, oh, I got bored watching Van Gogh sleep, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, so yeah. she goes out and does whatever, and, you know, goes and finds a doctor. Um, and I, I love that she scares him, you know, kind yeah, of coming yeah. around the corner, just like he had scared them moments before. Yep. 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 Gets the crap scared out of him. Um, but then, of course, there's the other portion where Van Gogh is starting to paint the chapel or her try, yeah. you know, trying to paint the church or whatever. And the doctor is just bored out of his mind. You know, he's, yeah. he's like, this is how time passes normally. <laughs> like, yeah, this is so really boring, slowly. like really yeah. slowly. And uh, my other favorite line, the, the little anecdote about Michelangelo is, you know, <laughs> what a whinger. If, if you were scared of heights, you shouldn't have taken the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, again, with the name dropping of all of these unseen you know, events, he's yeah. either completely making it up or he's had all these unseen adventures with Michelangelo and Picasso that we haven't seen. Right. Um, um, it's And if you concentrate really hard, Pablo, you can get a one eye on each side. It's not that difficult. Um, the, like his only problem was he right. wasn't concentrating hard enough. <laughs> uh, um, well, yeah. And we've so, gotten stuff yeah. like that before. Like, you know, is it Virginia Woolf's bowling team that he's on? Yeah, like, Virginia Woolf's bowling team. <laughs> you know, stuff like yeah, that. and his coat came from Janis Joplin and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, but I, um, the, the, the boredom thing definitely, um, I think, I mean, the doctor's always sort of uh, restless, right? Um, yeah. But I also think something to kind of keep an eye on with this doctor. Again, as one who started his tenure you know of this incarnation with kind of coming and going unexpectedly that mm -hmm. he's particularly restless like that there's something which is very difficult to sit still yeah um you you could imagine eccleston you know or tenant sitting and kind of enjoying van gogh paint and not having too much of a problem with that yeah um at least for a little while Whereas, and it seems to me you know, like with this, with this is like five so. minutes. Yeah. This five minutes is too much, you know, and, and he just, <laughs> he just can't needs stop, something to do. Can't yeah. stop yammering the whole time. Like he just yeah. keeps going and going. I love that moment where Vago like shushes him. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Right. Especially when he's starting to talk to him about depression. Like, I don't think you're mad. Depression's a very complicated issue. And Vincent's like, all right, can you stop? I'm going to work now. Yeah. Like, and this is one of the great masters telling you to just c calm down yeah. and let me do my thing, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. There's a process here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, you don't interrupt Van Gogh when he's working. And Amy's just shushing him the whole time, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like, you're being annoying. C cut it out. So, um... To sort of circle back around to what your you know your production notes and and mentioning that this is a fan favorite, I would say that yeah, this is the, I I enjoyed it. I like this episode. I think for me, of course, there's a well maybe to tack on to the end of what we were just saying about the doctor. There's a sort of restlessness with me like that. Mm. I want to find out what happened to Rory and if we're going to see him again or whatever. So, but yeah. I I. I mean, I, that doesn't take away from this episode at all. And, and obviously I, I like the sort of tidbits that they have in there about ways that the doctor and Amy are, or are not, you know, affected by Rory's absence. So I, I, 
even though I want to know, like I still sort of enjoyed this episode and, and, and liked what they did with it and the subtleties there and, and all, you know, everything we've talked about, obviously, but um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I would say it's, it's a good one. Cool. Um, anyway. Uh, so right. having said that, let's stop talking about it now. Uh, <laughs> and let's go on to the bachelor party for Angel. The bachelor party. Um, we don't really have any production notes this time, right? We'll just jump right into. No, story. I guess, I guess, um, the only thing that I would say is, uh, so, uh, this, um, this episode was actually written by, uh, Tracy Stern, who didn't, I think only wrote like two angel episodes. I want to say, okay. was it like two or three? Um, and actually <laughs> she left after this episode. So the next mm-hmm. one that she writes comes later in the season, but she was no longer with the show when it, when it like okay. airs. So like she had already written it and got, so, I mean, I don't, I don't think that there's much to say about it per se, other okay. than that, um, I actually enjoy this episode. I, I think it's kind of funny. Um, we get, uh, we get the, so we get another uh, appearance by Carlos Jackot, who I had mentioned right. before that we saw in Buffy uh, season three, um, episode one, Anne. Uh, yeah, which incidentally you know, where he plays a different demon who happens right. to be in LA. So I don't know, maybe like if we're like looking for consistency, it's like maybe just yeah. that, you know, demons who take human form just look for sort of a generic looking man form right, to take. Right. And so it, and it happens to look like Carlos Jackot. Um, <laughs> he also, I think we mentioned this before. He also uh, appears in Firefly, uh, the yeah. first episode Serenity as, um, as a Alliance agent who is chasing after river and Simon Tam. Um, right. Lawrence Dobson. I love the line where, uh, yeah. where, where he, he says to Jane, I can see you're not that stupid. And, and Jane goes, well, I wish I could say, say the same about you, Lawrence. <laughs> he like really emphasizes that. It has nothing to do yeah. with what we're here to talk about. I just like yeah. that line anyway. So yeah. On to the actual, uh, well, and, and actually, as long as we're mentioning actors, I totally forgot about this. So I'll just say this now before we get into it. But I also recognized uh, the uh, actress that plays Harry. Um, I looked oh, yeah. her up because she was really familiar. Her name is Kristen Dottillo, Um And I'm sure she's done a lot of other things. But what I know her from is that... She was the pizza delivery girl who Ross had a crush on in Friends. <laughs> so ah. it was driving me crazy. Um, there's that one bottle episode where they're in the apartment the whole time watching TV. And she keeps coming and going because Ross is flirting. So he keeps ordering more and more pizza so that she can come back and he can keep flirting with her. Um, so for anybody else who was, you know, trying to place her... Uh, yeah, that's what I know her from anyway. So, oh, that yeah, that, I did not pick up on her from that. She's been in a number of stuff. She she uh, also appeared in um, like CSI. Uh, she appeared in a number of episodes of Dexter. Um, okay. 
uh, Veronica Mars, I guess she was in an episode of Two and a Half Men. Like, you know, I think she's one of those actresses who... Uh, one of those faces that you know. Yeah, yeah has been around. Um, uh, she was also, I don't know if you were ever a fan of this song, but Aerosmith's Janie Got a Gun. Janie's Got a Gun. Um, she was in the music video for that. I think she was like the the title role of Janie in that okay. music video. Um, Very nice. So uh, that's going, that's going way back, but, uh, yeah. So she, I mean, yeah, one of those people who's kind of around and, and been around and, and a lot of different stuff, but, uh, yeah. I don't think she ever has like starred in, in anything that I, that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it bugged me the whole episode. I was like, I know this girl from something. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so we'll, now we'll talk about the actual episode. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I want to start with Doyle because obviously this is, you know, a Doyle centric, um, and we get to finally hear uh, his backstory, or at least some of his backstory. Maybe there's more, you know, to him that we don't know about yet. But we get a pretty significant chunk of it, um, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, I guess let's just start talking about that. So. It, definitely, I think the episode goes out of the way to... I mean, we're meant to be Cordy, right? We're like... Where the backstory isn't what you think it's going to be. I mean, yeah, some of it you could have guessed that like there were issues with his learning about his demon heritage. And we can talk about his sort of ambivalence about that. But a lot of it is kind of this really undoyle like normalness you know uh, that you're not really prepared for i mean the fact that he was and is married i definitely didn't see coming sure um you know but then on top of that you know the kind of uh wholesomeness of the rest (laughs) of his backstory you know that he like taught third grade and you know uh volunteered at the soup kitchen and you know like had this really kind of upstanding citizen uh you know you know good good tax paying you know nice guy wanted to have a lot of kids you know got married at 20 years old and everything um none of that is really uh like the Doyle that we've come to know who's much Mm. more a you know you imagine him growing up more as this kind of scrappy street urchin kind of like, you know, yeah, I don't right. know. It, I picture it, him in kind of like Oliver Twist or something like, like just like that. He's always been the kind of like broke and, you know, yeah, you know, it, having these maybe debt collectors out after him and making ends meet and doing that through like, slightly nefarious means you know not a bad guy but mm-hmm. but somebody who's kind of been like not had the easiest life necessarily yeah um more, or maybe most... more of like a faith upbringing than a buffy yeah. upbringing <laughs> exactly <laughs> um yeah no i i think you're i think you're right we're meant to sort of like cordy is the hobbit in this scene right or this episode like we're getting yeah. her perspective, uh, you know, through all of this, because there's clearly stuff going on uh, around her that's that she doesn't really understand. So I has to have it sort of explained and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. 
so yeah, I don't know that I have a lot to add to that, but you're, I think you're right. Like that's, it, it, it is sort of shocking, but then all this, you know, also, I think the only thing, the only problem that I sort of have, and I, it's fairly minor and maybe not a big deal, but, but Doyle talks about, you know, how young, uh, he and Harry were when they met, uh, mm. And then Harry says that like he was like a teacher already when they met. And I just don't think right. the timing works out for that to actually be true. <laughs> right. Um, right. Like, you know, as far as like being a, like actually having the education and certifications to be a teacher yeah. at that time. So I. Yeah, I think it's it is a little a little contrived because they're they're unfortunately trying to go for this notion of him discovering what he is when he's 21. Right. So they're unfortunately sort of obliged to use that as the turning point, you know? I mean, I guess it would be kind of dumb to say, I found out when I was 23, but it kind of would make more sense if that's what it was. Like, you know, because you could imagine that he, you know, went to college or did some sort of training or something. Um, Right. So, I mean, I, I get why they did it, but I agree. It... The timeline is a little bit. Yeah, the timeline is a little, a little, a little weird, a little too compressed, and and maybe not quite even possible. I, I, right, right. Anyway, like regardless of that, I guess you know if we sort of gloss over that a bit, I think you know just accepting the fact that yeah, like he was a really upstanding guy. You know, we don't really know much about. So we know that his father wasn't um, present, the demon father, uh, mm-hmm. but apparently. Uh, you know, his mother, despite being a single mother, was able to sort of raise him right and, you know, make turn him into a decent guy or whatever. And like, right. I think and it, it is a stark contrast precisely because we we saw, you know, previously, like, um, you know, with the with the. um, You know, debt collectors and stuff that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was only four years ago. So what is he? I mean, 25, 26 now, you know what I mean? Like that, right, that him right. and Harry got married. Cause apparently they got married pretty quickly after they met too. Right. It was like a, right. it was like a, a very short courtship, so to speak. Right. Um, so, you know, we're talking four or five years max in the time that he got married, they split like up today and, yeah. <laughs> and his life went to pot and he started right. getting these visions and things. So like, Right. You know, again, like his, the, and again, maybe it's just a little too contrived of a backstory. You know, they didn't quite maybe put in enough time for all of that to happen. But, you know, I mean, you do get a sense of this sort of precipitous fall of him, you know, of his that yeah. he had. And so going back to like Angel's question of why do you choose to live this way? And it's, maybe it's you know him punishing himself because he's had these falls you know what i mean like i think it sheds a little more light on that conversation too not just sort of what we learn about here but but what we already sort of know about him and maybe you had all of that already and i jumped in and stole it from you it's so sorry (laughs) no Um, definitely i mean you get like you also find out that i mean not only punishment for the falls but that the falls that being like a cyclical thing that he also fell because of his own punishing of himself that, you know, that's the big kind of revelation, I guess, is that, uh, it didn't, um, 
you know, it, it's not just the kind of unfortunate fact of his heritage or anger at Harry. It's that his own inability to accept himself and, you know, or to, you know, understand that she was actually trying to help him and was being sincere and, you know, that his own self-loathing, I guess, really, um, which led to those falls in the first place, you know, like he can't mm. change the fact that he found out that he was half demon, but it seems like uh, he could have continued to, you know, keep his, you know, relationship with Harry and had a good marriage, you know, if he'd been able to accept those things, you know, and learn to live with them. But his own sort of self-flagellation and punishment led to him, you know, uh, you know, basically breaking up the marriage. Um, so it's kind of like this chicken and egg thing of, yeah, you know, the, his falls from grace happened because of his self-punishment, but then he's punishing himself because he screwed everything up. So right, it, like, just right. keeps going on and on and yeah, on. Yeah, Um, And I like, too, the way that, like, you get that his, you know, first name is Francis, which is a nice... Uh, ir- a nice... Alan. Uh, Alan. It's Alan. Oh, Alan Francis. Alan Francis right, Doyle, right. yeah. Well, but, but, but Francis, to me, is, like, a nice Irish Catholic name, mm. you know, whereas... The fact that now it's Doyle, that I guess that's his father's name. So this, like, going by the demon in him, like that, you mm. know, he's doesn't go by his nice given name anymore. He's dropped that, and now he's it's just Doyle. Um, so, you know, a nice kind of little marker of how he's sort of kind of, like, banished himself from his own life, really. Yeah. And now is living, you know, oh. a much more difficult life. Although I would just, I mean, Doyle is certainly an Irish surname as well, so. Yeah, no, and I mean, I I get I get that. I guess just, like, the fact that, I think it's significant that he uh, has sort of changed his name, you know, and that, like, he kind of has sees himself as a different person yeah. now. And, um, yeah, certainly. And I think the fact that, like, you know, it, it's specifically going by a name which is, identified with his you know uh the the father's side of the family mm-hmm. um although i don't think we learned that he ever did get to know his father it's more that he just learned from his mother that you know his father was a demon as far as we know right yeah right it it right it's like it manifests and she's like oh yeah well oh, here's yeah. what happens um I wasn't going to tell you, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oops. Right, just sort of hoping it doesn't doesn't manifest or whatever. Yeah. Um, which so yeah, so we get and that sort of leads into I guess the conversation about his demonness, right? Because we get the idea that he's actually stronger, which I don't recall if we had gotten to this point yet. Um, I don't think that we have because yeah. Because he never does it on purpose. It's always accidental, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's always out of, like, a surprise or, you know, like, it's kind of an unguarded moment when he right. lets it drop. But then he covers it right back up. So I don't think we've gotten, like, any extended periods of him being in his demon form yet, really. N- yeah, um, no, or or even just knowledge 
you know, about the demon form and, and the fact right. that he is stronger and that there's, and that, he, like you said, like he is sort of actively suppressing it. It's not that it, it's not like a vampire where, like, it seems like the vampire, it, it sort of comes out when, you know, they have the bloodlust kind of thing and then goes away again. Right. Like it, for Doyle, except in those maybe super strong moments, it does seem like he can control it a little more, yeah. the, you know, so than that. Because, like, even when he's fighting, he seems to be able to control it, except in the very extreme moment. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, and so then, of course... Yeah, but again, that, like, yeah, I mean, that is interesting that he, like, and then I think to to find that out that okay like he is actively keeping himself at a disadvantage because of how much he dislikes that part of himself so that's interesting um but then immediately after you get the scene where he's um uh fighting with the vampire to rescue cordy and i was so sure that he was gonna transform during that fight like accidentally um and yeah, there. I mean, you know, and that she was, and I was even more sure that she would find out by the end of the episode, and she still doesn't know. <laughs> she yeah, like no, there, blacks him with the tray, and then he comes out, and she still doesn't know. They're clearly um, tugging, you know, teasing. Yeah, when that, is she that. gonna find this? This is gonna be because it seems like that's been building, and it seemed like this was clearly the episode where that was gonna get revealed, and you still, she still doesn't know at the end. So right. I'm waiting for that to happen. Um, but uh, I know here we are, uh, you know, what, a third almost of the way through the season. Yeah. And, and it's like, right. How much longer? Well, can and this you... is the the episode about Doyle and his coming to terms with his own demon half. Like, clearly, if you're going to do it, this would be. And so it's really interesting that they still are saving that for somewhere down the line. But um, but so the first time I watched it, I was pretty sure that she because he was talking up because like literally like five minutes before he says to angel like uh you know if cordy ever found out about that that would definitely kill whatever slim chances i have and then in the next scene they're talking about how why don't you you why don't you transform when you fight because you can win that way you're stronger that way so then you get a scene where he's fighting for his life to protect cordy and it's like well He's either going to accidentally transform or he'll have to do it just because that's the only way to win. And he'll have to sacrifice his own image to rescue her, you know? Yeah. But he doesn't, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and you see how like he gets really almost killed and really badly beat up. Like he doesn't do very well in the fight. Like, you know, he does a good shot with the arrow and he ends up staking the vampire at the end. But like, for most of it, he's getting his butt kicked. Yeah. You know? So it's really interesting that even in that extreme of a situation, like, it kind of shows you how much he really does not want to show that to Cordy. Yeah. You know? Like, even to win the fight, even when it looks like he's going to get killed. You yeah. know? You know? So it kind of puts even more layers on her, like, oh, how beat up he was and how brave he was and everything. Like, she doesn't even realize that he's, like suppressing those things the whole time um so i just thought that was kind of interesting layers um that like what she says is true but it's even more true than she 
realizes necessarily. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm not sure where to go from there. Yeah, I know. I was just trying to think like the, I mean, well, and I don't know. So with Cordy, Mm-hmm. And the sort of relationship thing. I mean, we're getting the signs too of like now she's she's actually noticing him and and all of yeah. the you know like the date. <laughs> I love that the date like freaks out, screams, and runs away. Like yeah. you know, just this is her. I, and and we get the the bringing up of Sander Harris. You know, I yep. I swore to myself I would never fall for another guy like him and like yeah. she's thinking like that Doyle is you know and and we've talked about sort of the equation between Doyle and, and Xander a little bit although I mean yeah. they're not the same person or anything just like right, right. you know we've talked about how Anya wasn't necessarily a replacement for Cordy in that way and we haven't seen yeah. her much recently actually I just thought but yeah but you know I mean Right, Even if there are similarities, yeah. you know, in the characters, like, I don't think you can do one-on-one. But, I mean, you know, we've talked about how there's sort of a Whedon-esque character in each each right, show. Right. And you can certainly see that with Doyle and, like, the shirts that he wears and, you know, kind right, of the right. goofiness of him. And, right, and, right. Xander and and Doyle and Wash are all sort of of a, of a kindred nature, I think. Yeah. Um, so... Anyway, just uh, on that note, I guess, just just the idea that, like, we're getting this comparison to Xander and Cordy actually thinking, like, you know, maybe there's something deeper here. <laughs> maybe he has depth. I don't Yeah, like but also, that, but... <laughs> but also her reluctance, you know, because mm-hmm. she says, like, I went down this road. And, you know, she kind of makes a joke about it, like, oh, I'm not dating another fixer-upper. But... Uh, you know, there's a lot more to it than just that. You know, she was pretty badly disappointed by her relationship with Sander, too. Right. Um, and then, so, to find out... Okay, so, like, yeah, with Xander, you know, she finds out that he's kissing Willow and, you know, that stuff's going on behind her back there. Now, just as she's starting to like Doyle, she finds out he's married. Yeah. <laughs> and, the wife walks in, yeah, yeah. You know, so, like, it's not that she doesn't have good reason to be skeptical and right. cautious right. and all of that. Um, although, I think we get the impression, you know, sort of by the end of the episode, that it was a very different thing. Like, we know that there's yeah. no sort of romantic thing going on between Doyle and Harry at this point, And they're this is their process of letting go, mm-hmm. you know, so maybe, maybe there's hope there. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, their breakup was for much more complicated reasons. You know, it wasn't just like a, Oh, he cheated on her or whatever. It was like more to do with this kind of identity crisis that he had and everything. Yeah. But similar too, in that like, you don't think of, Xander and Doyle as like the heartbreakers necessarily but like they kind of were like in their respective relationships it was them who kind of disappointed their partners in the way they behaved you know so sure that maybe is kind of something similar you know and even though he didn't it you know I don't think 
you know, I think Cordy would be wrong to, like, you know, reject Doyle based on that. Like, still, like, there's some notion there of, you know, there's kind of a slightly shady background of, you know, that we know about this marriage that went south. and Yeah, and, so, and a self-destructive tendency, too, I think, yeah, is sort of the yeah. big thing that both Xander and Doyle sort of have in common because, right. you know, Xander knew what he was doing with Willow was wrong and yet didn't stop. And, you right. know, we find out from Harry that Doyle's actually the one who had the problem with the changes. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. It, it wasn't actually her who left because. Right. And that's what you think, right? Is like, cause all the jokes all the time are about Doyle's like, you know, lameness, you know, mm -hmm. especially from Cordy. Um, you don't expect, you know, but that's like the thing is that, uh, you know, yeah, she left him, but more because of, you know, his issues, you know, and kind of forcing her out and everything. It wasn't that like right. she, you know, rejected him or got bored with him no. or something. Well, and, and so she becomes a demon ethno ethnologist or whatever, right. like, you know, right. she starts actually studying, you know, this whole, I, I'm reading the quote that you have here, you know, I realized there was this whole rich, interesting world just waiting to be explored. Like this is like, she actually thrilled in the idea that he was part demon and, you know, has this very apparently progressive, you know, open, right, you know, right. acceptance of him, like not, not in any way sort of. So it's not even that like, that like she, uh, you know, was hesitant or whatever. It's like you get this. And I mean, these are her words. So, you know, I suppose theoretically there could be some revisionism there, but I think we are sort of, I mean, it changed her life and her sort right. of, vocational calling and all of this kind of stuff. So like, I think we can accept her at her word when she says that she was excited by this and wanted, you know, thought it was something worth studying. And, and the fact that she knows that Richard and his family are demons and, you know, right. is able to speak these sort of ancient languages. She's like, she's like a Giles, but not to fight demons, but rather to embrace them and sort of help yeah. them integrate with society and all right. of this kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, which is kind of a cool and fun and interesting topic uh, in and of itself. But yeah, going back to sort of Doyle's character, it, it totally is this idea that it's not, it, it was him. He was the one who left uh, and, and ended that relationship or at least shunted it aside until it sort of withered and died. Um, right. Right. And and not really her at yeah, all. Yeah, and and the the tragedy being he didn't even and I guess that's kind of the definition of self-destructive. He didn't realize he was doing that. He thought, you know, there's a little reference to her freaking out at first, and then she says she got over it. So, you know, I suppose you could imagine that that freak out, however long it lasted, did a certain amount of damage in terms of his own, you know, self-image and everything but yeah. but i think we are meant to see that like really you know if he had been really you know listening with her and trying to understand what she was saying they could have gotten past it you know but mm -hmm. he uh pretty much ended the marriage it seems convinced that 
it was her inability to accept him that was the problem. You know, that like, you know, that she was pitying him, you know, that she wasn't really sincere, Mm. Um, you know, all these things. So it's not really until he sees that she is in a relationship with another demon and that Mm -hmm. she, you know, basically changed careers out of fascination about (laughs) the whole thing that it like convinces him that like, Oh, maybe she wasn't just telling me what I wanted to hear, you know? Um, which, you know, he was probably just hearing what he wanted to hear, you know, because, you know, to him, he couldn't accept it. So why should she? Right. Um, so, I felt really bad for Doyle in this episode. Like, he was so sad for most of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know you you said it was funny, and it was, but mostly Doyle was just really sad. (laughs) So I felt I spent the whole episode like, oh, poor Doyle. (laughs) No, there's definitely, definitely some, uh, some stuff there that I think we're, we're meant to, yeah meant to see as a not so um happy stuff for doyle but i don't yeah i guess you're right like he is sad like i mean how would you like to be not only uh, not only be asked for a divorce but to be asked for a divorce because you you know like all this stuff I think he has every reason to be. Yeah. I'm not judging. Oh him. yeah, no, no, no. I know you're not. I'm just, I'm, I'm saying like all of that. But like, <laughs> but then like also to be invited to like your ex-wife's future husband's bachelor party. I know, and he's like, and he's like completely like condescending the whole time, and like, yeah, you know, and you know, kind of one of these like really nice doofuses that you're like, you know, he just wants to punch him the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But no, then at I mean, the same time, I, I think he has good reason because he just gets like, it just goes from bad to worse yeah. in this episode. Like he's not, you know, he's frustrated about Cordy. He's finally getting Cordy's attention. And then his wife walks in. Now she wants to get divorced. Mm-hmm. You know, then he finds out that she's marrying another demon which then leads to the revelation that really he probably didn't have to ever break up his marriage in the first place. Like, <laughs> and then like he has to go to the bachelor party and then they try to eat his brains. Like right. it just gets worse and yeah, worse yeah. and worse. <laughs> and it like, it is kind of a funny setup, but like the actor doesn't just play it as like, Oh, isn't it funny? Doyle's in like uncompromised, like, compromising situations over and over like most of the time he plays it really straight but he's just like actually really depressed about all this Mm -hmm. um so it kept me from like laughing at him the whole time and made me actually like feel really sorry for him because it's not really his fault um but things just kept going from bad to worse yeah so i mean by the end when they're eating his brains it was a little bit funny Mm -hmm. um which strangely lightened the mood. But um yeah, the, but for the right. beginning part of it, it was mostly just like a really sad story about a marriage that failed for like no one's fault, you know. <laughs> yeah, I I can see okay, I you've called I me li- out a couple I, times I, now like I like the episode. I like I'm none of that is a criticism. I'm just saying that that was my experience. 
I'm I'm having flashbacks to when I mentioned uh, the Cordy centric episode of you know uh, <laughs> the Wish, um, and you point out that Cordy dies in like ten minutes <laughs> into the episode. So like, okay, fair enough. Maybe my one word adjectives are not always the best selected, but. I do still see this primarily as a funny episode and I'm standing by it because I think there, I think there's a lot of humorous turns. Yeah. Even even agreeing that Doyle's character is very pathetic and worthy of our pity in this, uh, in this episode. I, there are a lot of turns I, I like, especially, you know, like when Angel busts through the glass and is, you know, attacking this demon, yeah. As he's pulling out a knife and, you know, only to realize that Harry completely knows that he's a demon and is fine with it. And, yeah. you know, like, yeah, like they're like, and Angel, you know, has sort of his stereotypical confusion, like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, and yeah. that sort yeah. of thing. But you had a um, knife. It's for the box string. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And like, and you find out like he's <laughs> right. He's just getting like some semi illicit you know, delicacy right. for his restaurant. Right. Like it's not actually anything that you would, you know, that's right. like well, nefarious and also just or the whatever. idea that like this clan used to be, have really like violent cannibalistic tendencies. And now yeah. they just own a chain of restaurants. Like, <laughs> right. Right. Um, like they're, they're assimilated, you know, they don't, they don't eat people anymore except for, this time you know but now they just you know they're still involved in culinary arts just like more you know legitimate version of that um right yeah the whole the whole like i i like the sort of the plays on like tradition and stuff too like and you get the um harry saying like oh you know you you don't even stop watching football enough to sacrifice a sheep or whatever it is you know like (laughs) um so it's yeah he's like defending how traditional they are and she's like oh you haven't sacrificed a goat in years yeah you've completely like lost your tradition yeah it's right like the people who only go to church on like christmas and easter kind of thing like you know it's like yeah. Are you really observing that much tradition, you know, in your own religion kind of thing? And, and Right, right. Um, so I, I just like the sort of the twisting of that and and the idea of, yeah, like in some way, like how silly it is to sort of hold to these traditions when you don't really believe them. So like, you know, what are you trying to capture out of this? Like, what's really the point of the whole eating? And and then, like, you know, the one demon calls her a racist because yeah, she, like, yeah. doesn't, you know, is trying to tell Richard that he, they don't need to go through with eating Doyle's brains and stuff. Like, well, yeah, just... No, definitely by the time all that is happening, like, yeah. the thing has just completely gone off the wall. Um, um, and just that great moment of... Uh, you know the, the 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 nice happy family sitting around eating like KFC or whatever, and like talking, planning the bachelor party. <laughs> yeah, like you know, drinks. Making yay! yeah, and, making jokes about know, strippers being yeah, there. Have and, a stripper, yay! And yeah. then and then darts, and then the the ritual eating of the ex husband's brains, and the charades. <laughs> and the one guy is he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, charades. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That that's what raises the eyebrows, right? And um, right, and you kind of get the idea that they don't care about the tradition. It's more the novelty of getting to eat someone's brains that's like driving this whole thing. Like they really just kind of like 
you know, like, it's kind of a half-hearted nod to tradition, but sort of, yeah. like, especially, like, with the, the brothers, you get the idea that there's kind of, like, just something, they're just really looking forward to eating this guy's brains. Like, yeah. just because, you know. Right. Um, right, and they even mention something like that, like, oh, he's the first one who's, like, even been eligible to do this, because, like, nobody else has right. married a woman who was previously married in a long time. So like, like it's not even like, like, we never get to do this. This is so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) right. When you talk about tradition, it's like, they haven't been following the tradition just because they're, they haven't had opportunities. So like, does it even matter anymore? Like, right. Right. If you haven't even been doing the tradition, then what's the point of the tradition? Um, so it, it, yeah, just kind of, kind of funny there. Um, I, I like that scene as well where they're sitting around the table eating and, and talking about the bachelor party and sort of planning it out um and that that moment of uh where they mentioned the ritual eating of the first husband's brains and um it kind of i think has the same sort of feel although more humorous as what we were talking about with the initiative last week where you know you have this really like normal college dorm or not or a frat house party and you know the right. guys are going downstairs and then all of a sudden you realize they're in this like super sleek, you yeah. know, elevator with high tech, you know, eye scanners and, you know, this kind of stuff. And yeah, like you don't even notice the transition. And yeah, it's just like, yeah. yeah, you take a minute to be like, wait, what's going on right now? And yeah. they even stop it. Like you say, like they, they, they stop the conversation. Charades? Really? Yeah. I don't know about that. No, it could be fun. It could be fun. Yeah. Like, and you're like, no, wait, let's get back to the ritual eating of the brains. Um, right. And then, <laughs> and then sort of the other side of that, when um, they're doing the bat- bachelorette party or, or doing like, I don't know, whatever yeah. they're doing at, at, and then like the ant or whatever, like spills to me, well, they're yeah. certainly not going to eat his brains. Like, <laughs> well, I'll tell you every, what they're not going to do. <laughs> everyone has that one ant who like can't keep a straight face. Right. Like about anything yeah. like you don't tell aunt Jean that we're having a surprise party for cousin yeah. Megan because you know, she'll give it away kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, I don't actually have an aunt Jean. So <laughs> not writing anyone out there. I do have a cousin Megan, although that's weird. Anyway, um, neither here nor there. The, the, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think on balance, there are more funny parts to this episode than, than non-funny so i'm sticking by my assessment uh even the, the other uh I, i'll add a third one to those like little moments of like whatever we call that um when uh <laughs> when harry finally finds out about the eating of the husband's brains and the the most well she has you know she's offended by the stripper and then uh you yeah. know and then has the moment of you were gonna start our marriage out with deceit and Doyle's you kind of misses the point there it's, yeah it's kind of like yeah she kind of is like like that's your problem is like right that know, he lied the, to you yeah the, the deceitful foundation of the marriage not like um you're about to open up my ex-husband's skull and cannibalize his brains like oh. that's what she's focused on so like Maybe she's been hanging out with those demons a little too long. Like that, that this stuff doesn't shock her anymore. It's more like the relationship stuff that's the problem, not like the inhumanity of what they were gonna do. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I guess sort of the other thing I want to talk about, maybe along those those lines, even is just like 
so we get this idea that there are maybe these demons who are integrated in society in right. you know more so like like not every demon is roaming around necessarily looking for someone to kill right. and eat although in this instance they are actually looking to kill and eat doyle but right. like even so it's like it's only like a specific purposeful thing which I, yeah. I doesn't make it better for doyle but like it's not like vampires just you know sort of randomly killing people and you know right. sucking their right. blood kind of stuff it's you know it's this again yeah like i mean they're kind of successful they have a chain of restaurants there right um which actually i don't if uh anyone watches grim uh which is david greenwalt's you know current tv show um there's a lot of that they're not demons but there's they have there's they call them vesin where they're like basically these like fairy tale creatures who are mm-hmm. like integrated into society in different ways and that kind of thing and and so you get a very similar feel of like there are these bad demons or bad vessin you know who like attack and kill people and that's sort of the procedural stuff they go through every week but then there's mm-hmm. also these like subset of like you know i almost say good but i guess maybe innocuous is is a better <laughs> you know right. way to say it like they're just they're just kind of these everyday average normal people who just also happen to be best. And, and right. so you get that same feel here, I think uh, with the idea of there being, you know, demons who are, yeah, just like normal people in a way, like they're not right. special. Um, and even with the sort of eating or attempted eating of Doyle's brains, like you still get like, that's their one, like, bad vice <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. like it's not like we do this every day it's you know just yeah once every few hundred years when we happen to have the opportunity <laughs> yeah well they're so nice about it <laughs> yeah well exactly um well and like i mean obviously doyle's like that too i mean at least doyle doesn't even doyle doesn't even eat anybody's brains doyle doesn't do anything yeah demonic really Um, we haven't seen him use his, you know, everything he has that's a vice is, like, human. Like, normal, yeah. Like, like, his marriage broke up because of his human flaws, you know, and (laughs) he, you know. His inability to accept himself. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, drinks a little too much, or he does some, like, you know, he maybe owes some people money, he doesn't always, you know, do everything that's legitimate. None of those things are particularly demonic. You right. know, like, he doesn't, um, he's n- not violent at all. In fact, he's pretty non-violent. You know, mm-hmm. he's not, that doesn't seem to be his way. Um, you know, he doesn't prey on anybody or, yeah. you know... So and, he's and I a guess great I would, example of a completely normal and integrated demon. Yeah. And I I would just say, I guess sort of the thing that I see a little different there is that we get the idea that he's, you know, only half demon, right? Like, sure. which, you know, I mean, you could argue yeah. about how much, of, well, how much yeah. of a demon is a demon. Like, you know, it's, well, and, and also raised without that knowledge, whereas right. this seem that Richard's family are clearly like brought up in a clan, you know, taught, you know, to be part of that family and everything. Yeah. So there's a little bit of nurture there. And also the fact that they're not, you know, half that they're full blooded or whatever. Right. So I, I guess, yeah. So those are definitely different. 
yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to point that out because it is it is sort of other times when we've sort of seen demons like in society, like well, and even we talked about the episode Anne because of Carlos Jacka being in that one. You know, there yeah. again, like you get like he's just posing. He's he's a normal guy, so to speak, but it's so that he can take people and enslave them in an alternate dimension. You know what I mean? Right, like right. here, we don't get that same idea that there's something truly nefarious going on other again than Doyle right. and the brain thing. But that's sort of like a one-off, you know, we don't get the sense that they're like meeting yeah. together on Saturdays every week to do this kind right, of thing. Right. Right. Um, How many times can we say Doyle's brains in this? Recording? I know. Right. <laughs> um, and I think that's why it gets funnier and funnier is because they're, it, they talk about it more and more. Um, but I was thinking, like, that's maybe a difference between vampires from other types of demons, it seems like. Um, it seems like... It could be, although we've seen... Other demons that we see... I mean, some of them are, like, pure evil. Um, but right. it seems like some of them are just sort of lower levels of... You know, some of them are just sort of a little bit illegitimate, you know, or a little bit dangerous. They're not necessarily, like, out to kill everyone and rule everything you know they seem to have more capacity for you know other ways of life whereas the vampires don't seem to have much control over that unless there's something that like like unless angel gets his soul back you know or mm. or spike gets you know experimented on or something <laughs> um it, like other than that it seems like yeah once which does it once you become a vampire you have little to no control over your own, you know, more monstrous impulses. Whereas, yeah. like, it seems like, given the right circumstances, demons can exercise some control over that. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, well, I, I'm just trying to think of, like, what other instances we've seen non-demons in that, or demons that well, are not vampires in that way. I guess the, the, the closest one I can think of offhand is... Um, the demon what about Whistler. Who... Okay, yeah, Whistler would be a good, good example. Like, doesn't he say like I'm a demon, but I'm not a bad guy, or something like that? Yeah, He's, yeah. He yeah. makes some reference to that. Um, um, so Whistler's a good example. Um, the only other one I was trying to think of is like the the demon who tries to sell the books of Ascension to Buffy and Faith who Faith right. ends up killing, and Buffy's right. like, yeah. uh, he just wants some money to get out of town. Like, he's, right. like I don't see him being like, the killing guy. He's not, like, a, a great guy, but he wasn't, like, evil either. He was sort of... As far as we know, anyway. <laughs> right. Like, he was doing some sort of a deal, and, like, it was shady, but it wasn't, like, um, not to the extent of the vampires, who seem to be more driven by that bloodlust to, you know kill as many mm -hmm. people as kill and consume as many people as yeah. possible yeah. it seems like some demons anyway have the option of renouncing that um, right yeah so i would just i would just sort of i mean i think this is the clearest example of that kind of thing whistler i think you're right is a good example and he's uh and we've talked about how even like he was originally going to be uh, actually Doyle, you know, the Doyle character right, right, <laughs> like right. in this, in this show. And, and it just didn't work out with that actor. Um, so, you know, that's not far off, but, but I think to this point, at least this is sort of the first instance where we have of like, it's sort of truly integrated demon family, you know, that right. has sort of like 
they act mostly human except for this mm-hmm. one strange thing that they do, which let's face it, every family has that one strange thing that they do. Right. You know, so like maybe even that isn't that far off, you know, <laughs> those weird little traditions yeah, that yeah, are unique to them. Yeah. Um, uh, so I don't know. I just, I, I want to, I just want to sort of note that, I guess. Um, and we'll see. Cause I, I think I've mentioned before, I mean, the sort of idea and concept of like a demon sort of does progress over the course of the show, or at least we see more variations about it. it Well, and that's maybe that's more what I mean is like, it seems like between the two shows, there seems to be more of a spectrum of possible behavior for demons. Whereas Mm -hmm. vampires seem to behave a certain way, unless there are conditions that change that. Yeah. Um, whereas and, the demons, it's more like it depends on the demon, you know, and right. we've seen everything from pretty benign to like full on like, you know, force of nature evil. Yeah. So um, so that would be maybe my distinction at this point. On the you other know, hand, we have, we have yet to meet any vampires who are benign in that same way without you know also having a soul without also having something that like right helps you know a soul or whatever um, yeah um the the and and we've seen humans who are, have been sort of completely evil as well or sure. you know along yeah. somewhere along that spectrum i mean you think of like yeah. Ethan reigns or right. um even the faith's gwendolyn post um Yes. The, you know, the first, not true watcher, I guess, but... Right, right. Uh, you the, know, she... The fake watcher, yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And even other members of the council who maybe are a little, not yeah. not evil, but who have uh, sort of uh, disconcern <laughs> for human yeah. life in, yep. in the way that we would actually hope that they would not have. I think yeah. I said that right. Um, so, you, you know, I mean, it's not it's not just a, a demon thing either. It's, it's also a, a fact that, you know, there's humans who act that way too. And I think, um, and, and of course, I mean, vampires are demons. They're, they're actually more like hybrid in a way like Doyle is, right. You know, it's just that the demon side, we understand has more control than mm-hmm. the human side. And so that's, you know, just because it's stronger or whatever. So there may be some merit to what you're even sort of implying that we we have not yet seen that from a vampire, but that doesn't necessarily mean we won't or whatever. Um. So all of that to just say, I again, I just wanted to make sure we we talked about that a little bit. Yeah, um, definitely. Any any other stuff on like Angel and or Cordy? Um, from this episode because i don't want to slight them if there's anything else we need to say um, i think we well, talked about cordy mostly but um go, go we for did, it no we we did talk about cordy mostly um i mean i guess just to flag again that not only is she like uh like we kind of get some reasons for her coming around to doyle like not only does he uh kind of show his concern for her and is, you know, brave and rescuing her and everything. But like, those are things that she now expects from guys, right? Like, Mm. uh, now she says it's not enough, um, for him to be rich and handsome. He has to be brave and interesting too. Like now all of a sudden she wants a full, (laughs) well-rounded, you know, boyfriend. Um, and isn't that annoying? Um, and she says it's 
it's it's your fault, both of you. So, like, it's not just Angel that's brought in her experience. It's Doyle, too. Um, and, uh, and, and I like kind of her eagerness at the end to go... Well, all the way through the episode, her eagerness to kind of cheer. As much as she, like is nervous about this being a repeat of the Xander experience. Mm-hmm. She also, that doesn't stop her from getting like excited about it. She's like, should I go cheer him up? I should go cheer him up. I'm going to go do that right now. Like she kind yeah. of doesn't even really wait to hear like what Angel thinks about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and I like her thing at the end of telling him that he's nice. And she says, I think it, I say it, it's my way, you know? So you kind of know she's being, honest cordy in that moment right yeah like even (laughs) i do like that because you get the sense that like she's concerned about the way that she's feeling but she's also not denying it she's not like she's not like saying oh you know i i can't fall for another xander harris so i'm not going to i'm going to you know suppress my feelings and be a jerk she's embracing it in the way that cordy embraces every feeling that she right, has right. <laughs> you know it's it's like this is the i'm just acknowledging that i'm upset about this but it doesn't change the way the fact that i actually like doyle and am going to now go cheer him up like yeah um which i think would also feel out of place like if she if yeah. she hesitated in that way so um yeah and and i like angel sort of suggestion well maybe you're changing (laughs) like maybe you're the one doing the growing here like and that just seems sort of preposterous (laughs) yeah uh but no i think i think we are seeing that like you know i mean cordy's not unconcerned with you know still the looks and money and whatever uh but i do you do definitely get a sense that just like we've we saw her grow throughout the seasons of Buffy, that she's still growing and she's still sort of recovering that ground, maybe that was lost a little bit when Xander yeah. sort of hurt her. But but she, I don't think it was lost completely either. Like I don't think she ever reverted fully back to her, you know, no, Cordette's so days. And no. and so now we're we're getting to see her sort of now go beyond that right like she's sort of recovered the ground and so now like we're into new growth territory kind of thing uh, yeah and i think it's as much it's as much to xander's credit as well like her horizons were broadening you know back when she was hanging out with the scooby gang and dating xander like you know xander was also kind of goofy like doyle but he you know, was brave on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason she Oh yeah. also, you know, it's not just, and I don't think you were saying that, but it's not just Angel that has kind of uh, changed her outlook. I think probably dating Xander had something to do with that too. Yep. Yep. No, I, I would definitely agree with that. I, and I think that's, I think the biggest part of the growth at this point, it might just even be, the sort of self-awareness to realize that, that she's, you know, having these, that, that she's having these thoughts. Like before it was just like, I don't know why I like Xander. I just do. Now it's, you know, a little more reflective, a little more, uh, analytical, you know, than, than just the, I'm just going to go with it sort of thing. Yep. Um, yep. And I like her, uh, uh, jokes that, angel's expense 
you know, are you going to become loser pining guy like full time now? Because we already have one of those around the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And right, I can't. That's her opening line after she says, "Someone with a heartbeat needs to cheer Doyle." I know. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> are you going to be loser pining guy? So much better than what Angel yeah. could have ever said, right? Yeah, okay. I know. Yeah, all the irony of her thinking that Angel isn't the sensitive one comes screaming back, like mm-hmm. you know. But like you know, she's being sensitive in her own way. But her right. way of being sensitive is to be like blunt and you know make fun of you and everything. And that's um, that's just what I was gonna say too. Kind of like cheer you up back in like she cheers you up by like you know making fun of everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's 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 totally yeah the courty way of of doing things and. But also because she is who she is, you know that it's sincere. Like she's doing it not from a mean perspective, but no, because yeah. because she actually doesn't want him to be a loser pining guy. She wants him to be happy. You know, like it's right, this right. isn't she's not saying this because it's like annoying. I mean, it right. is annoying, but you know what I mean? Like she's saying it because she actually is concerned about how he's feeling kind of thing. Right, right. Um and it's just, always funny to poke fun at Angel. You know, so. maybe that's what Amy should have said to Vincent. You're not going to be loser You're fighting guy. You're not going to be a loser fighting guy. <laughs> maybe that would have worked. That's terrible. Oh, my God. I feel bad for even saying, suggesting that. <laughs> it really is a serious issue, depression. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I, but then I... I so Way to kill the mood. At there's the also end, the dude. jokes of, at Cordy's expense when, uh, you know, Doyle asked Angel to help him, um, you know, sort of figure out what's going on with Harry and he says yeah but don't tell Cordy she'll want to charge you she'll want to charge you right <laughs> like yeah. and this is even after we know that Cordy even likes Doyle you know like this is yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah no whatever it, it, that, it doesn't bank matter account like gets they could, her a raise she doesn't care yeah, yeah they could be married and have You're, been dating she, he's a for customer many years or whatever point. but yeah. yeah like no matter no matter what she would still want to charge um yeah no discounts for family and friends <laughs> uh any any thoughts on angel um so or anything else on Cordy? sorry well the thing i want to mention with angel is um speaking of loser pining guy we get some buffy uh action this week um which is interesting with because the episode does kind of focus on doyle's pining um and and the fact that Doyle isn't over Harry, but you kind of wonder if some of that obliquely references Angel and yeah. who he might not be over. And, um, and we find out that his exciting book that he's engrossed in uh, secretly holds a picture of Buffy in it. Right. So, um, right. How much reading is he actually so doing? How much reading? Like, that's his exciting evening. Um, so, uh, you know, so Doyle, you know, sees the picture and everything and, and so it kind of implies that Angel's still uh, a little hung up on her. Um, and uh, Maybe just Doyle way. gets a vision of her at the end, too. Yes. So I'm wondering, are we headed for some crossover action in the near future? That's a rhetorical question. I will say, without giving it away, I'll say yes. Yay. No, I that gave it away. Obviously, no. The yeah. I mean, yeah, we find that out like almost immediately in the next episode. I'm not really giving much away. The next and, episode of Buffy or Angel, or do you know of, what an, of of 
Buffy. Of Buffy? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We find out pretty much immediately in like the first scene. Nice. Basically that he's watching her fight some vampires from behind a bush and there you know, okay. we we'll see what happens from there. But it's like cool. yeah, like in ten minutes if you watch it right after we're done recording, then you'll see that. <laughs> so it's not it's not yeah. a big plot reveal, yeah, reveal yeah. Or anything. Um so yeah, so there is some crossover. Interesting. So I'll be interested to see how much like is uh is Doyle going to get to interact with the Scooby gang or is the, you know, and I don't, you don't have to answer. Yeah. I won't, I'm just wondering. I won't say anything more than just that there is crossover and, and yeah. that, you know, it, it starts pretty soon in the plot of mm-hmm. the next episode of Buffy. So we'll leave it at that. Um, okay. And to put it into context, of course, so this is Angel, right? So this is, this aired after the last episode of Buffy immediately. So the next episode of Buffy you know, will air and then the next Angel episode will air immediately after if that perhaps hints at how much of a crossover there is. Oh, (laughs) right. Okay. Um, Right, right, right. Because this would have been... Buffy always airs... Setting up. This would have been the setup and then the following week you would have had an episode of each Buffy and then Angel right after. Yeah. Ooh, so like maybe like some two-part action going on. But, but cross between shows. I'm, I'm just noting that their episodes air, you know, back to back. Not, right. I almost said simultaneously, right. which is ridiculous. That would be interesting. I kind of hope that's what it is. Like a two-parter, but straddling two different shows. Mm. 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 That's an intriguing idea. So, all right. Well, anyway. Uh, so, yeah. No, and, and, and the Buffy thing sort of bookends the episode too. So it's right. It's right. like there is, I think you're absolutely right. Like there is this sense of the pining and all of that. And it's more oblique or more subtly directed at angel as much as Doyle. Right. Uh, I, yeah. I think so. It, you're not, you're not far off in pointing that out. Uh, in fact, you're not off so. at all. <laughs> I don't know why I said it that way, but um, yeah. So anyway, but yes, cool. we will be back next week to talk about the next episode of Buffy and the next episode of Doctor Who. Uh, and uh, yeah, all right. Well, cool. see you then. <laughs>